there and welcome to episode 20 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I'm joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brother Joe Clay. Hello. So after a couple of weeks of riding waves of panic amongst drawers and the whispers of dressed up hoofball order, has finally been restored and Albion are currently sat atop the championship with Valball having salvaged its reputation as heart in your mouth exciting to watch football you see after declaring must win status over last week's game on last week's podcast back-to-back victories and a more of an an on the deck style seems to have won over any fans who are wavering towards revolt the boos have been silenced well the non-substitution related ones at least uh, the doubts may also have been silenced who knows but everything once more seems relatively peaceful were we ever worried really is everything actually fine now is it destination premier league once more these are very teasing questions i know but before we get to the answers let me first say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the hawthorns debate club your support means so much to us We are seriously grateful to every person who downloads and listens to the podcast. We are even more grateful when you tell other people to listen to the podcast. We don't mind if you have to trick other people into listening to the podcast. Needless to say that we love you all and we definitely wouldn't have made it to 20 episodes without you listening to us regularly. So a really big thank you from all three of us. So on this week's episode, we will be pulling apart our 4-0 drubbing of Cardiff. A game that definitely warrants the word drubbing, in my opinion. A game where poor old Mick McCarthy must have been having like Vietnam-style flashbacks. We'll also unpack our game against QPR before finally talking about our upcoming game this Friday against Stoke. So let's kick off with yesterday's victory, our thrashing of Cardiff, which put us to the top of the league. And after Wednesday night's results, we still find ourselves top of the league, which is exciting because that means it feels a little bit more genuine. But this is now 10 games unbeaten since the start of the season. And that, according to Alex, is a new record for Albion. We've surpassed our previous record. And last night's game was a pretty emphatic victory against Cardiff away, a game that many Albion fans were nervous because Cardiff playing a rugged, very direct approach wasn't something that Albion had come across yet this season, really. And some people, including myself, were a bit nervous about how we might fare if we got roughed up. But very early on in the match, all fears were put to one side as Carlin Grant was on the mark. And then in the second half, an own goal, an absolute worldie of a volley again from Alex Mowat before Phillips wrapped up with a fourth goal from a kind of really quickly taken, well-worked free kick. Just a few stats from this game. We saw the lion's share of possession once more, which seems to be a little bit of a trend that's evolved over the last few games. We had 11 shots, six on target, and there were six shots against us and zero on target. First things first, boys, for all of the doubts and fears that have been there over the last few weeks, this game really was needed. It was a game that made you remember how exciting Valball can be. Is this the kind of result and performance and display and all of those words that is going to restore people's confidence and faith in Valball? 
Yes, I think he's adapted. And it shows him being a great manager, adapting and replaying it. It's like a, a mixture, isn't it? Play to our percentages, play to the opponent's weakness. And I think that's what we did last night. We played exactly to Cardiff's weakness. Yeah, there was a bit of head, head ball, head volleyball, whatever you call it. Going back to your original question, I think, yeah, this will gain the fans back on side. It was his birthday as well. So it was a oh, good really birthday present for Val. Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, yeah. big Val. How do you say in French? Bon anniversaire. Ton l'adapte ton anniversaire. Est-ce que je peux enlaver ma veste? <laughs> je ne sais pas. Ah, what did you make of the game? You probably would be fairly portrayed on the spectrum of positivity as super positive. I'm glad you didn't say deluded. <laughs> I know we're going to go into it later, but I think it just followed up the second half of QPR perfectly. Following on from that release of tension, we unleashed the confident West Brom. Cardiff were victim of it. I mean, Cardiff weren't that great, but we absolutely took them to the uh, the grinder, <laughs> the cleaners, yeah. The slaughterhouse. We absolutely annihilated them. I thought it was really good that we got an early goal and that settled the nerves a bit and then almost sort of dented their confidence as well. And then from there, we were just, like Joe said, we just adapted. I think we, we utilise in Townsend a lot more now. We're sort of appreciating that we're trying to cross things from the left and run into the box from the right. But yeah, really encouraging. A lot of good stories out of that fixture. Like A lot of players who have turned their form around. Like It looks as though Grant's finally turned up. First time we've seen it, really. And then you've got Reach. Looks like he's a much better player the last couple of games. Livermore, I've been encouraged by him. He's shown a bit more of a spurt of energy. Well, that's a great place to start, I think. Would you say that the lineup that started against Cardiff is the starting 11 going forward now? This front three of Hugel, Robinson and Grant. I know there'll be some element of rotation, but is that our established front three now, would you both say? This is the first time where I felt he's put out the best 11. You know, I really do think that with Hugel up top and Robinson and Grant, the only thing I would do now with the first 11 is bring Matt Clark back and then perhaps replace each for Townsend. But I think we're looking really good. I would say, yeah, but I know, like you said, the rotation, Val will change it. <laughs> you know he's going to change it. He doesn't like to keep it the same. But I think those three, they work well together. At the 60th minute when he brought Dean Garner on and Phillips, it just rejuvenated them. They worked well with Hugo as those three. So yeah. I think keeping those partnerships, at least keep the partnerships together. Keep Hugo in the middle if he's got the fitness to do it. Robinson and Grant and Phillips and Dean Garner and keep them working together. Yeah, I agree with you, Joe, which is typical fashion for the Hawthorns debate club. But, but I do think they're, they're brilliant on the bench, uh, Dean Garner and Phillips. <laughs> you know, it on the bench. When Grant and Robinson get a bit tired, we can replace them. Or if we need to mix it up a little bit, because obviously Dean Garner's a lot more technically gifted, I would say, than the other players. Whereas Phillips is a lot more mature player, more of an athlete, I would say. Whereas Grant and Robinson are more like goal scorers, I think, more lethal. Shout out to Reach. I've seen some stats on Reach that game. Outstanding. He's like 82% accuracy, four attempted crosses, four tackles, three key passes, one assist and a clean sheet. You can't ask for anything more than that, can you? I echo those thoughts. I do think Reach has really been quality for us the last two games. I think he's really, you know, he's, he's changed my opinion of him, I would say. 
Let's start looking at one or two of these goals because there really were two standout goals in this game. Carlin Grant seems to hit a rich vein of goal scoring form over the last couple of games as well. This goal that he scored against Cardiff to start off the game, what a strike, what a goal. I mean, that looks like a person that is full of confidence and obviously we know that he's a confidence player and he didn't get many opportunities in the Premiership after his initial run in the team. But wow, what a strike. I think it was a brilliant strike. If Mowat hadn't scored that goal, we'd all be talking about Carl and Grant's goal. One thing I'd like to say about the Grant goal, I remember one of the podcasts that we did around the transfer window that I likened him to Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Mm-hmm. And I do think the way he came inside and you know, smashed it into the corner with very little backlift reminded me of Jimmy Floyd. So that was really like, pleasing to see. And if he can do more of that, you know, I think we'll be very lucky to have him on our books. You start to see why he was bought in for such big money. He carries the ball really well. He might not be the best dribbler like Dean Garner. I don't necessarily trust Grant to beat a man one-on-one, but he seems to run well with the ball, travel well with the ball. And obviously the execution of the strike to find the side netting from there through a crowd of players from the edge of the box, it really is a, a great finish. And hopefully this is the beginning of him bagging, I don't know, 12, 15 goals this season. I don't want to put too low a cap on it or too high a bar for him to reach. This is what people saw in him at Huddersfield. I'm convinced this natural goal scorer at this level. And we can't really talk about this game without talking about Albion's third goal. Obviously, the second goal results from great Albion pressure. But the third goal, Alex Mower, I thought that the goal he scored against Blackburn goal after 30 seconds which was just an absolute wonder strike of a volley I think he's eclipsed that with this goal it's one of those ones where it stayed hit is appropriate it defies gravity it's still rising now to this day as pure a half volley as you're ever gonna see can you guys just throw some superlatives at how good this goal was Alex I know you were particularly taken with the sky punditry on this goal yeah, the crying out of, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that really uh, that did it for me. That was brilliant. And I've seen things like Poetry in Motion, Moat, the video clip on the, the official Twitter with him going, that screamer by me. What a screamer. <laughs> that was a screamer by, by me. By me. <laughs> yeah. in, his, he, in his northern accent. Yeah. He did that for Barnsley, didn't he? Yeah, it's like his, like, what, like he's got his own catchphrase now. Yeah. By me. Listening back to the WBA highlights, you've got Chris Brunt commentating on there and he's saying how good he hits that. I trust Moet to do that. There's a lot of players where you see it dropping to them outside the box. This is an unfair example, but like the ball dropping down to Darnell Furlong in that situation, my confidence is so low that that's going to result in a goal. And that's not because I don't believe in Darnell Furlong. It's just such an unprecedentedly difficult thing to do that even the vast majority of professional football players will not connect with that shot consistently. Alex Mower, technically speaking, that goal is out of this world. And there's so many comparisons to Lionel Messi last night, because obviously Messi scored a bit of a wonder goal for PSG. And Messi's goal is not even in the same league as Moet's last night. It's just an absolute worldie. And the fact, again, it always comes back to this. We got this bloke on a free transfer. For whatever criticisms you could throw at Albion's recruitment this summer, did we spend enough money? Did we target the right areas? Alex Moet is such like a large amount of ticks in the box of a successful window that realistically just getting him is such a massive plus. 
Can I, say, can I just say something outrageous? You may. I reckon he's a, he's a bit like Paul Scholes, isn't he? The way he's a bit aggressive in his tackle, the way he's got a shot on him and he likes to pass the ball around. He's a better tackler than Paul Scholes. Going back to that, like you were saying about the line on Messi and um, comparison, on Sporting Life Football, they said our XG model gave him just a 4% chance of scoring that goal. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, a lot of years Albion have a goal of the season competition. Like, look at last year's and it's pretty bleak. There's a couple of good goals in there, but there's really kind of a couple of runaway favourites at the same time. I think by the end of this season, Alex Boat's going to be able to have his own goal of the season competition at the Albion. It's amazing to think that if he could score anything better than he did against Cardiff. But then again, I thought about that, the goal he scored against Blackburn. So who knows what's coming next from Alex Mowat. Other little juicy bits and pieces from this game. We saw Jason Malumbi. He is a real person. We didn't just imagine him signing for West Bromwich Albion. We've seen him. There is a body. There is a person. And he actually played a little bit of football for us. Very much felt like a cameo appearance when the game was kind of won. Any thoughts? For me, he looked quite a good to bring something different onto the pitch to Livermore, whereas Livermore is quite a muscly, big player. I think Malumbi came on and he looked a bit pacier and added a bit more energy to the game. So I think that's a good, adds another string to our bow if we want to play in a different way or bring on some something a bit different. Yeah, I was just going to say it looks good in the kit. He didn't have much to do. We were winning 4-0 when he came on, wasn't it? So... I think it would be difficult to talk about this game again and not talk about the change in play that we've seen over the past few weeks. Obviously, major, major criticisms in the games before the QPR games. And we'll talk a little bit about the QPR game as well because it started off a little bit rough. But this hoofball tactic of firing the ball long, trying to win it high up the pitch, trying to retrieve second balls. We've all heard it all before, direct vertical football, all of these terms that were thrown about. But Albion definitely, against Cardiff, were intentional about trying to bring the ball down. As Joe, you said earlier, there were definitely a few occasions where we we got into this kind of head tennis, head volleyball, whatever sport it is. And that really bugs me. That does. That's one element of it that I can't still quite wrap my head around. Why, when a player's in acres of space, they're not instructed to bring the ball down, but to just head it back. And it's clearly instructed because every time there's an opportunity, they do just head it back. But aside from those one or two little moments, Alvin were doing some really slick interchanges of play. You saw Mowat being utilised more than just kind of a, a battler to get the ball back. Hugel, his ability to lay the ball off isn't just about winning like towering headers and flick-ons and stuff like that. They're these real, really subtle death touches around the corner that bring other players into play. I think we're more than capable of this fast interchanging on the ground play. And I think it's going to be fruitful for us going forward when teams do try and just complicate things and rough us up and make things difficult. We have the technical ability to break them down. And as soon as we go a goal up and they have to come out of their shell, we are lethal on the counter-attack. I totally agree. I think we used, like you said, utilised the wings very much in this game, but we didn't just put it in. In the earlier games where we were drawing, we are putting in deep crosses. You know, we actually ran to the byline a lot and crossed it back across the goal where we can get tap-ins and stuff. And that's how the own goal happened. And like you said, Mowat has got a different type of instructions, I'm guessing, to play the ball through. 
especially with Hugo holding the ball up there, you just once he holds the ball up there, it unleashes our wingers, you know, the other two strikers and Livermore or Mowat to come into play. And then we've got seven bodies up front. And you saw at the end of the game, Ajay was nearly up front. It links everybody together. I think having that person who holds the ball up, your two other strikers can come in short and then you've got the wingers overlapping. And I think it just, it overburdens the other team. That was the major difference against QPR, wasn't it? Hugo came on 10 minutes after half time. Like you say, I did think that he changed the game by receiving these crosses and getting Grant and Robinson into it more. So perhaps that's a good place to park the bus on our conversations about Cardiff. And Joe, Alex, I'm going to invite you, along with the listeners, to step aboard our time machine that everyone knows we have here at the Hawthorns Debate Club. We're going to punch in our coordinates for Friday evening when Albion played against QPR. So here we go, travelling back in time. Don't get too far back, Jamie. I don't want to end up with the dinosaurs or something. Watching Jurassic Park in the early 90s. We are now arriving at our destination Friday night where Albion played against QPR. The game finished 2-1 against the Super Hoops, the Super Mighty Morphy Power Ranger Super Hoops. 2-1, Andre Gray giving them an early lead after defensive mishap once more. Sam Johnson finding himself in a little bit of no man's land. Um, as he tries to perform the role of sweeper keeper. I was actually still in the, is it like the concourse? And I was still walking up the stairs. And as I got to the top of the stairs, Andre Gray was just like meters away from me celebrating having scored. So I missed that one and had to ask people what exactly had happened. But the game didn't finish that way. And obviously, second half came along and a, a double from Grant with a helping hand from QPR's goalkeeper secured the points for Albion. This game was very different in flavour and feel to the Cardiff game. The success of last night, I would say, was almost the reverse of what we saw, at least for the first 70 minutes against QPR. The first 70 minutes of this game very much echoed what we'd seen in previous games. All of those concerns and panic that was kind of floating around seemed very well deserved for at least the first half in this game. Albion started with a different front three, Dean Garner, Phillips and Grant. And it's fair to say that during that first half, the mood was pretty low in the ground. And amongst us three here, although we're usually pretty calm and well-thought and well-measured individuals, I think particularly me and Joe, we were a little bit fraught really with what we were watching Alex, you've got some choice reminders of some of the things we were saying in our WhatsApp group. Yeah, I think we were all a bit depressed by the first half performance. We were typing things in our WhatsApp group, like lacking a bit of composure up top. Seriously, there are no tactics to our play. I can't work it out. The formation doesn't work. Uh, the defence keep losing it. Val needs to work out his front three. I don't want to be negative, but I'm going to be. This is dross. Even with the chances we are creating, it's just rubbish. We decided to listen to We Need a Hero, that classic. Is that Enrique Iglesias? That would have been that would have been apt. I could be your the, hero. The 80s. It was uh, Bonnie Tyler. Yeah, Bonnie Tyler holding out for a hero. 
I'm holding out for a hero. I mean, that's what people come to to listen to our kind of vocal renditions of 80s mega hits. But yeah, this game, I think those little text messages we exchanged during the game were very much a very gentle thing that some of the things I was hearing around me at the ground, people were seriously, seriously concerned by what we were watching. What changed? Was it the substitutes? Or do you think there was a, a definitive change in style of play? Or is it simple as bringing on... Hugel and Robinson transform the game. Going back to that question and what Alex was saying, I need a hero. I think our hero was Seni Dieng, the <laughs> goalkeeper. I think that's what changed it. I think him punching it into his own goal or whatever. I don't know how it went down as a, a great goal. Maybe it is the power he put into it. But I just think, yeah, the first half, like you said, it was um, one of those comments from the WhatsApp group was the defence keep losing it. I think we were overrunning midfield and that's why the formation didn't work. In the second half, I feel like he must have had a word with him and we got it down, passed it out to the wings a bit more. I think that's where the likes of Hugo coming on and Robinson, where Robinson can run with the ball and Hugo can hold it down and play people in. I think that's all it was. I just think it needed that spark from a substitute. Dean Garner getting substituted off and the booze ringing around the Hawthorns. But in the end, he was right with Grant. Maybe a bit lucky with that, but yeah, Grant showed up and he was our hero on the end of the night, wasn't he? The two substitutions that were made around the 60th minute mark, bringing Robinson on for Dean Garner, Hugel on Phillips. I think that absolutely changed the game and it shows how important having a focal point up front is. We found that last season with Sam Maladice bringing in that Dianga. It's it's so important to have that person who can hold up plays, pressure the defenders and give players running on time to, to score goals. I think it's such an important thing to, to have that player. But I think it's amazing how, how a goal, whether it's lucky or an absolute world-class goal, how much that can just release tension and just bring like a new confidence. Because as soon as we scored that goal, I just thought, you know, we're going to win this easy. The amount of chances that we're creating in the previous two games as well, which we ended up drawing, we were all over the other team. And I think it just needed that one bit of release almost. But it's just so funny how confidence has such a big part to play. I think it's amazing. Absolutely. I mean, I can only like just echo and applaud both of you as I agree with you in everything you're saying, really. I think that we were overrunning midfield. I think the issue that I have with the formation, the way it looks on paper, at least with just two midfielders in there, is that obviously when you're playing the ball direct and you're not looking to utilise kind of playing through the middle of the park, you don't need a, a number of bodies in there. And obviously then the main function of Moa and Livermore is to win those second balls. But with the front three being the front three that they were in the first half, they weren't even really competing for aerial balls that were put forward. And Albion were just putting the ball long so frequently. And obviously, if you're not winning the headers, you're not winning the second ball. And then so consequently, I think that's why it looked so disjointed in the first half. I think... One of the things that we've repeatedly heard that Val is trying to now give the players license to bring to the heart attack ball is a little bit of composure. And that's what I think happened when you bring on players like Hugel and Robinson. They do bring a fair amount of composure to things. I think for all of the invention and creativity and spark that Dean Garner is bringing, and I am, I'm not Dean Garner's biggest fan, but the way he played against QPR was the best I've seen him in a long, long time. He was our most threatening player by a significant margin, in my opinion. He was quick, skillful, looking to beat players, looking to create. So when I saw his number go up for the substitution, I have to admit, 
I didn't boo, but I completely sympathised with people who were booing because it seemed like Val was looking at something different to us. And it's strange. It's come off the back of a week where Pochettino to bring Messi up again, you know, Messi and Albion just go hand in hand. That's why it so, comes up so frequently. But in a week where Pochettino was kind of ridiculed for bringing off Messi, but then it, they went on to win the match. PSG went on to win the match. Kind of reminds you that although players can be individually brilliant, the team functioning as a team is of greater value to you than having the best player in the world on the pitch. And that's not to say that Dean Garner and Messi are anything alike, but to take off your most threatening dynamic player in a change that will make the overall team much better, the proofs in the pudding, because Grant was the only player that was left on from this time front three. And it's Grant who turns up with two goals that are made in large part due to the interplay between the two substitutes that were brought on. Just a special note, that second goal, the build-up play in that goal just shows what Albion can do when we do play it on the floor. And the irony being that it actually reminded me, not in the execution of the finish, but in the style of the build-up, of the goal we scored against Bournemouth on our opening game, the quick interchanges from midfield. It's not a fighting cross or anything, but these simple layoffs that just result in really fast movement towards the opposition goal. I don't think that's a new thing. I think that's almost what it's meant to be like from the beginning. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's interchanging. There's a lot of dummying that goes on. CR7 always does it, dummies it to the next player. There was glimpses in this game, like after 70 minutes, of what it moved going back to the old self. I think uh, Alex mentioned it earlier that from 17 minutes going into the Cardiff game, we carried on that type of football, taking off, like you said, taking off Dean Garner, even though he was the best player. It needed to happen. It maybe was tipping the scales too far down on one side and we we're always just going through Dean Garner. And that's why he was looking so... But he evened out the squad on either side. You had Callum Robinson on the right and Grant on the left. So, yeah, I think it was a, a great move by Val and that goal was just outstanding. He was totally vindicated for the decision because by full time, every single person who booed and every kind of person whose alarm bells are ringing, and I include myself then when Dean Garner went off, Val just proves he, he knows exactly what he's doing, really, above all else. And Albin obviously then went on to grind out the result. I have to admit, walking away from the game, it did feel like we... We had created a number of chances in that game, but I was very much concerned that we had papered over some quite significant cracks, in my opinion. Obviously, since then, the Cardiff game has cemented up some of those cracks, some of those vulnerabilities that may have looked like they were still present against QPR have now been kind of allayed. There are a couple of interesting questions that Alex has popped in our notes here. And it's one that I want to ask you guys, because we've already spoken about him a little bit today. But in terms of looking at kind of chinks in the armour or concerns we might have around what might be the difficulties we encounter going forward, one person springs to mind as being a little bit of a liability. And I'm worried that it's going to become a vulnerability going forward. Jake Livermore did some brilliant things in the game against Cardiff. There was a goal line clearance. There was a point where he came back and made a last ditch tackle. But apart from those couple of moments in that game, which probably the best two things individually he's done all season, I'm concerned that there might actually be better players to fulfill the role that 
Ishmael's looking them to fulfill in terms of energy and creativity in the center of the park. I think Livermore is holding us back. And the other person I'd throw in potentially there, who's another veteran of the side, is Matt Phillips. I think they're our weakest players now. What do you guys think? I do tend to agree that Livermore is probably our weakest point in the team. Not him, but that area. And I think that's due to his age. His fitness is due to the amount of games that are in the championship. Like you said, he played he played very well against Cardiff. Had the best of games against QPR, but I don't think many of the players did for 70 minutes. I don't think Val will change that. I think Malumbi will come in, be coming off the bench quite a lot, but that's it really. I think Matt Phillips won't be in the starting team now because his game against QPR, even if the tactics are wrong, he was terrible. I really struggle to make my mind up on Livermore. I think he's got a great character and that's that's obvious. Like you hear him doing interviews and how he reacts around players and with the players. He does seem like a real leader. People must see something in him. I mean, he's, he's had England call-ups in the last three years. He does pass the ball well. He's a physical presence. He is slow. I do think he is slow. Sometimes he does go absent. Uh, you sort of wonder where he is and maybe his reactions are a bit late or delayed. But I, I really do struggle to make my mind up because he does break down a lot of play. He tends to do it for the key moments in the game, so it looks like he does maybe. But I really do struggle to make my mind up with him. Obviously, with him being club captain, it makes the decision very difficult to take him out of the starting lineup anyway. Because as you say, Alex, there's a lot of intangibles that aren't visible on the pitch that, at least from the crowd's point of view, where you don't know the conversations he's having on the pitch, you don't know the organisational aspects that he's putting across on behalf of Valishman on the pitch I guess in terms of just purely performance wise that's where my concerns kind of come from but probably the biggest issue is obviously taking him out of the side how do you do that in a way that isn't kind of disruptive to the whole squad because he's the club captain I have a theory may I pose my theory to you a bit of a conspiracy theory if you're ready yeah I'll just get my team four hat out two seconds <laughs> while Alex just armors his head with aluminium. Let me tell you this. I suspect that Val doesn't want to make the decision and is secretly relying on Jake Livermore picking up lots of yellow cards for late tackles or pulling players back so that when he's suspended, he's naturally pulled out of the squad so that the kind of wraith, the mystery man that is Jason Malumbi can enter into the field and do that thing where Jake Livermore can't regain his place in starting 11. That's my kind of conspiracy theory. Val doesn't want to make the decision. Any takers on that conspiracy theory? Nah, I don't. I'm not having that. Jake Livermore is Elvis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, actually, now you mention it. uh, Yeah, I could see that. No. I do think Jake Livermore, I reckon he's a good player and I think he'll remain captain for the foreseeable and then Moat will take on the armband, I reckon, in a couple of seasons' time. How many is yellow cards till you get suspended? Five. Five is on three. So Val Ishmael is gambling on two more yellow cards, making his decision for him so that Jason Malumbi can steal him from the shadows and the armband will be wrapped firmly around Alex Moat's bicep for Evermore. So the game against QPR finished 2-1 and that put Albion top of the league for a few hours. And that is, I think we then dropped out of top place, did we not? Yeah, we dropped out, didn't we? Yeah, we dropped out and then we dropped back up 
after beating Cardiff. And now Albion are sat at the top of the league, unbeaten in 10, one of only three teams in all four leagues in England that are presently unbeaten. Albion, Liverpool and Bournemouth are now the only teams that remain unbeaten. It seems absolutely crazy that last week we had sirens going on in the background and everything felt apocalyptic and there were even whispers about is Val up for this is Val cut out to lead Albion not necessarily on this podcast but it was definitely 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 out there and yet (laughs) 10 games into a season Albion are sat at the top of the league unbeaten you could obviously wish that Albion had started better than this but it's pretty good isn't it yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's making me enjoy football again after uh you know last season was really hard season, but I just really enjoy watching the team now under Ishmael. I mean, it's that old argument: is it better in the Championship? Like, do we enjoy it more? But obviously, it's always better to get in the Premier because then you make money and then you know you can afford to have the good seasons in the Championship where you can win most games. But there you go. It's certainly not a, like a yes or no debate. It's not like an easy one for me. I do obviously want to see Albion playing in the top league, attracting the best players in the world, but you can't not be in the championship. Winning game after game after game and seeing Albion scoring screamers, it's just, like you say, it's a joy to behold. What grade would you give on the season so far than now? I'd give it a B plus, room for improvement. Joe? Yeah, I'd go for a B. I think uh, the draws could have been easily wins, but... No, we've uh, unbeaten. We've got the exact same wins and draws as Bournemouth. Oh, very interesting. And because Bournemouth begins with B, I will say B as well. I think it's been a, a really, really good season. I can't lie, I was nervous last week. Even during the QPR game, I was very, very nervous about what I was looking at. But if it if we really have turned a corner and we've uncovered multiple ways to threaten teams that aren't just hoofball, and I don't think we have to be too cute about it, I do think we were relying far too much on long balls. If we found other ways to play and break teams down that come to upset our rhythm, I think it's a be well earned. Do we reckon we're going to be the Invincibles this season? Well, I did make a bold, bold claim that we wouldn't lose till next year. I think our other predictions... Oh, talking about predictions, let's move on to some sort of Mystic Meg prediction segment of the show here, because I believe... Let's get some spooky music in the background. What kind of music is predictive? We'll get the spooky... I predicted a score against QPR, and I'd just like to say... I did as well. Did you predict it as well? You, I predicted it first and you said the exact same as me. So I predicted that the score was right and Joe predicted my prediction ahead of that oh, yeah. and predicted what I predicted, which was the right answer. 2-1 to West Bromwich Albion. I also said an Andre goal in the first minute after a Sam Johnson mix-up, but that didn't make the final edit of the podcast. And then I believe Alex nailed the prediction about Cardiff game 4-0, but... We're not going to verify that. We're just going to assume it's correct. Well, like I said, we're, um, we've got the microphone so we can write history. That's what I think that famous quote is. Those with the microphone write history. And so, obviously, we're all established. All three of us here are now established predictors of future events. Prophets, if you will. Is it okay to call you both prophets? Yeah. Obviously, we've made predictions regarding when Albion are going to lose. So in answer to your 
question, do I believe we could be Invincibles this year? I think we'll probably slip up at some point, but I don't see us losing many matches. And like I say, I genuinely think we'll get to New Year. You, Who predicted against Stoke? Myself. And what did you say, Al? Fulham, I think. Fulham. Potential banana skin in our prophetic writings against Fulham. But, no. Here we go. What do you think, Invincibles? I think strange things happen at sea. I think, like I say, it could happen. I, I, I think we have this conversation every week, don't we? Trust me, man. Until we <laughs> get moment. beaten, we're going to keep having it as well. Stranger yeah. things happen at the highest ground above sea level. Miracles, miracles happen. Has somebody been wishing on stars again? Is that another Enrique Iglesias song? Right, well, that kind of wraps up both our games. So let's get back in the time machine, bring ourselves up to the present day, boys. You on board? Don't want to leave anyone behind in the past? Choo choo. Okay, off we go. Right, back up to the present day. Let's quickly hit through some quick fire news stories. Gosh, the under 23s have been doing well. Oh my goodness. Albion Premier League two season, we've won 6 0 against Southampton. The goals that the under-23s have been scoring have been rivaling Moet's volley. Castro absolutely buried a free kick. Owen Windsor caught one on the volley from a corner that absolutely tore into the net. Alvin then went on to beat Norwich 5-2. My personal favourite, Mo Fall, bagged the brace, doing absolutely amazing bits. There are some players in that team that I can't see how they're not knocking on the door of the first team. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, Castro definitely, he looks like he's a real prospect. You know, his free kick was a pearler. You know, he's got the potential to be world-class. And I think if he keeps on the trajectory that he's going at at the moment, I can't wait to see the, the fully evolved Castro. Like a Pokemon, Charizard. Yeah, he's going he's gonna to evolve into Castro Fidic. Owen Windsor, Castro, Mofal, Joe, any of them knocking on the door for you? I think Owen Windsor is always uh, thereabouts. If you see the Premier League two games, he's always scoring, isn't he? There's a lot of talk about him. I think he's got a good future ahead of him. Hopefully he goes out on loan and gets some actual proper competitive football experience and comes back. The same as Morton. You know, it's very similar to that. We've also got that guy who uh, has recently linked to Dortmund, Reyes Cleary, 17-year-old. Similar to the Romelu Lukaku, the same. So I haven't heard much about him. Uh, being 17, you think we would have heard about him in the Premier League too, which is strange, to be honest. But I think he's out of contract or so. So it'll be exciting when all of these players are eventually turning out for Villa on a free transfer. So that'll be all great news for the Albion. Let's move on then to some other quick bits of news. Albion's women team. Uh, beat Loughborough Lightning 5-0. Women's team really starting to do bits and pieces as well. So really encouraging to see the start they've made and hopefully we'll start to see over the years them kind of climbing the leagues as well. And, and just a little bit of a kind of lonely update as well. Josh Griffiths is absolutely killing it at Lincoln by all accounts as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he kind of develops. And with Sam Johnston, obviously, still not having signed a contract, is he the next in line? Is he kind of heir to the throne? I saw a highlight reel of Josh Griffiths' save over the weekend. Incredible. 
like last-ditch saves, penalty box scrambles, and uh, him just jumping on the ball, getting the last leg to it, toe to it, fingertip to it. Brilliant. Top goalkeeper in the making. Brilliant. Let's quickly move on to our game in the Potteries on Friday evening. Al, nickname update. So, Stoke City Football Club are also known as the Potters. There's a common phrase called going potty, which is going mad. And apparently... That's due to the influence of lead in making pottery, sending potters a bit loopy. That's a very interesting factoid for our listeners. A bit of a history lesson thrown into our nickname discussions, the Harry Potters. They're currently fifth in the table, which is kind of mad, to be honest, speaking of going potty. Having a really good season, almost rebranding themselves as a football team. No more is it a cold Tuesday night in the rain at Stoke or whatever the old idiom used to be. They're playing some really stylish football, passing it around. Obviously, Romain Sawyer's heavily involved now. Long history of very, very bad results against Stoke, going back to when I first started supporting Albion and they got promoted when we came out of Division 2. They've played 10-1-5, drawn three, lost two with a plus three goal difference. They drew their last game out and Sawyer's won't be featuring in this game against us this is the last game before international break guys and it probably poses one of the more potent threats we've played this season what are you thinking about this game do you think this is a return to hoofball or are we going to look to play the same way as we have been I think we'll look to play the same the way we have been, especially against Cardiff. I think we'll play it on the deck. There'll be a bit of versatility about, you know, playing more direct, but I think we'll use more of the wingers with Reach and Furlong doing their part. I think it's the best time to play the next game away because I think we haven't got all the pressure from the home fans and I think there has been a lot of pressure there with the draws and stuff. It's going to be a good game for the uh, neutral. I, think, I believe it's on TV, isn't it? So, yeah, I think uh, we're going to go out with a 3-1 victory. Yeah, I do think this will be one of the tougher games that we'll encounter, uh, you know, just with them being our bogey team and they've got a lot of established players. But that said, I do think a lot of the Stoke players fit into our... They sort of help our strength in that I think they're quite experienced, kind of slow players, whereas we're quite young and pacey and, you know, a lot of energy. I don't think they've got as much energy. They're more all about positioning. And, and I think that's sort of Michael O'Neill's style as well. But looking at his teams with like Northern Ireland, they're quite defensive kind of tactical rather than energy. But I reckon we'll be, I mean, I think I'm going to say 4-0. Yeah, I think I'm quite optimistic about this game. I don't just want it to be the fact that like Albion have won a couple of games and now I'm back on board the roller coaster of predicting five and six nil wins. But I do just think that although it's playing another team with a different approach to everything we've just encountered, I think what we're proving is we've got enough versatility in our approach to games. That means that we can actually either take advantage of long balls over the top or play it through the middle or down the wings. I really do think Albion are a bit of a Swiss army knife now in terms of what we can bring to the party each game. So I think this game will finish Albion 2-0. Right, boys, that was a bit of a speed episode for us. I know it's not always obvious to listeners how long it takes to record this because we do edit them to make ourselves sound even more impressive than we do. But all that remains for me to say today, having said as much as we need to say, is a thank you to Alex. Cheers. Thank you to Joe. Thank you. Short voice went cool there. Uh, thank you. A bit weird. <laughs> thank you for listening to <laughs> the Hawthorne's Debate Club. We'll see you next week. Take care.